My brothers and sisters, this afternoon I'd like to focus not on our gospel, but on our earlier readings. And I'd like to talk about them in connection with conscience formation. Conscience formation and the sacrament of confession. We see in our first reading how King David fell into serious sin and how he confessed his guilt. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. The brevity of David's confession is a sign not of insincerity, but of frank honesty. David is not beating around the bush. He cuts to the chase. In our psalm, he says, I acknowledged my sin, my guilt I covered not. David did not try to make up excuses. He did not try to justify himself. In our second reading, St. Paul teaches us that it is God who justifies us. And yet we're often tempted to look to ourselves instead of God for our justification. We're often tempted to indulge in self-justification. Let me illustrate with an example I found recently in a book. It has to do with police corruption. Now, police officers place themselves in harm's way oftentimes for our sake, and they deserve our support and love and prayers. I have no reason to doubt that the vast majority of police officers discharge their duties honestly. And so I bring up the following example, not out of disrespect, but only because it describes well how average Everyday people like you and me can find themselves rationalizing what they know to be wrong. So let's say you're a cop serving a search warrant on a crack house. Now, I'm not sure crack is a popular drug anymore, but as a child of the 80s, I used to watch a lot of Miami Vice. So let's just pretend we're back in the 80s. So you're a cop searching a warrant on a crack house. You raid the house and you chase one of the guys to the bathroom, hoping to catch him before he flushes his drugs down the toilet. But you're too late. He beat you to it and flushed all his drugs. Here you are, all excited with your adrenaline flowing. You've put yourself in mortal danger. And this guy is going to get away? All that work? All that risk? For nothing? Why not take some of the crack you got from that bust earlier today and throw it on the floor? You can say he dropped it while he was rushing to flush his drugs. You could nail this guy and he'd be getting what he deserved, right? You know it's illegal to plant evidence. But given these circumstances, does this law really make sense? Come on. So you do it. You plant the false evidence. The first time you do it, you tell yourself it's okay because you know this guy is guilty. But then you find yourself pulling this trick again and again. In fact, you're strongly motivated to repeat it because to do otherwise would be to admit, even if only to yourself, that it was wrong the first time you did it. Next thing you know, you're breaking the rules in other situations and even pressuring younger cops to do the same. Before long, you're entrenched in a culture of corruption that routinely justifies planting false evidence and bearing false witness. 
And any officer who refuses to cooperate with this culture gets persecuted by you and the other officers. You hate these idealistic Boy Scout types. Your hatred for them is really rooted in your awareness that they're everything you once wanted to be before your downward spiral into corruption. But you tell yourself you hate them because they're just stupid Puritans who haven't yet learned that to do your job, you got to sometimes break the rules. Well, what do we learn from this example? Many things. First of all, we learn that we can't base our moral beliefs on our actions, but rather we have to base our actions on our moral beliefs. People often begin to do something wrong and then only afterwards begin to believe that what they're doing is, after all, not so bad or maybe even good. And they can come up with many reasons to explain to you why this is so. Our current actions cannot be the standard by which we judge right and wrong. In our first reading, we see how King David, through the prophet Nathaniel, was confronted with the word of God. So also, our standard of what is right and wrong must not be the choices we have been making lately, whether they've been bad or whether they've been good. Rather, our standard needs to be the revealed word of God, as taught us by the church. Second, we can't necessarily take the broader culture as our standard of right and wrong. We can't say, well, everybody's doing it, or I'm not as bad as most people. Again, our standard must be nothing less than the Word of God. Third, and this is related to the second point, we have to stop focusing on the bad things other people do and take responsibility for our own faults. We have to stop playing the blame game, as they say. In the illustration, the police officer got caught up in what the bad guys were doing, and he forgot that what he was doing was also bad. Fourth, we have to be careful about little sins. Many little sins weaken our resolve to do the right thing when it comes to serious matters. Our little sins can add up and eventually lead us to commit big sins. Remember, David's big sin of murder was preceded by a series of lesser sins. First of all, when David first laid eyes on Bathsheba, he should have been out on the battlefield fighting with his men. But he wasn't. That's his first sin, sin of neglect. He was home lounging around and oversleeping. He wakes up in the middle of the afternoon, so he oversleeps. That's his second sin. Next thing you know, he's looking at Bathsheba while she's bathing. Next thing you know, adultery. Next thing you know, murder. The best insurance against big sins is to fight hard against lesser sins. Fifth lesson, the ends do not justify the means. My brothers and sisters, this is a fundamental truth of morality, and we as Catholics must stand firm on this. When moral reasoning in so many areas today, politics, education, media, affirms precisely the opposite, we have to be strong on this point. The ends do not justify the means. We can never do something that's intrinsically wrong, even if we have a good reason for doing it. And finally, we've got to be proactive in the formation of our conscience. Oftentimes, ordinary people who are neither great sinners nor great saints find themselves in situations 
in which they're pressured to do something wrong. And they find themselves unprepared in both their mind and their will. To their minds, the situation appears unclear. And their wills are weak. They lack definite and strong convictions. And they end up buckling under pressure. But we must always be asking ourselves what is right and wrong, seeking to grow in our knowledge of the moral law. And we must do this by constantly exposing ourselves to the Word of God and to the Church's teachings. And then we must be praying for the strength to do what we know is right. And we need to do all of this before we're put to the test, so that when the test comes, we're ready for it by the grace of God. In light of all this, my brothers and sisters, I've only to recommend to you the sacrament of confession. Let us turn down the volume of our own self-justifying rationalizations and turn deeply inwards. In the silence of our heart, let us listen to our conscience. If it convicts us of mortal sin, let us go to confession. Remember, we're bound to confess every mortal sin that we know we haven't already confessed. When it comes to venial sins, we're not bound to confess them. But the Church has always strongly encouraged us to do so. Getting tough with our venial sins is the best protection against mortal sin. Regular confession of venial sins is a privileged opportunity to examine ourselves and receive grace to help us stay sin-free. In closing, my brothers and sisters, let us, let us actively form our conscience, examine it regularly, and make use of the sacrament of confession. Confessing once a month, or even every two weeks, is not too frequent. Confession is the best way to prevent ourselves from slipping into the habit of self-justification. And it's the best remedy for us when we've already fallen into a lifestyle of self-justification. Along with David, may we be able to say, I acknowledged my sin, my guilt, I covered not. If we can honestly say this, we'll also be able to say what follows. And you, Lord, took away the guilt of my sin.